All right, take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 4. Friday morning about 6.15, Teresa had just left for work and I was uh, planning my day and uh, the sheriff's department called me at my house and uh, the dispatcher had trouble with my last name. He said, is this pastor, um, uh, is this Mark? And I said, it is. And he said, uh, I need to patch you through to our dispatcher who is sitting in the parking lot of your church. I said, okay. And so it took a little bit and they got the dispatcher, patched us through. And so the deputy came on the phone and he said, is this uh, pastor, um, uh, is this Mark? And I said, it it is. And he said, uh, you're not going to like this. Now, I got to tell you. When I get a call from the sheriff's department at 6.15 in the morning, I don't like it already, all right? Something's not right if they're calling me. And uh, so he said, I'm here to let you know that you have a serious water leak on your property. I said, well, what do you mean? Uh, he said, well, there's water that's filling the ditches up and down Highway 69, so uh, we, you need to get on it. And so uh, I stopped and called uh, one of our deacons who's on the building properties committee, and I said, uh, here's the deal, and do you happen to know where the water shutoff is? Now, I'm thinking small at this point, as it turns out, um, but I'm still kind of new here, you know, a year and a half, and I haven't had an incident where I needed to know where the water shutoff was. And he said, we'll take care of it. And so I jumped in the car and headed up there. By the time I got here, another deacon was already here, who, by the way, is not even on the properties committee. And he was out working on trying to shut the water off. But here's what I saw before I got here. I turned from my house. I live on Walton Road here, about maybe a little over half a mile. And I, at the light, I turned to come up 69, and I noticed there was water standing in the ditch about this deep right there. Uh, not a good sign. So as I came up, I noticed the truck of our deacon who's out there trying to shut it off out there and I looked across the lake that was our used to be our parking lot and could see the sheriff's deputy sitting over here still kind of sort of dark and I parked and came over and I got over here just on the other side of that wall right over there to my right and there was water serious water coming up out of the ground all behind it was underwater the parking lot was underwater and water was still flowing big time Now, over the course of the morning, uh, of course, we had to call the city out here to turn the water off because it was actually not, you know, one one of our guys said, you know, the meter wasn't turning, to which I replied internally, yes, praise God. (laughs) And then the citizen part of me kicked in, well, somebody has to pay for that, so better them than us. No, that's not what I thought. Um, As it turns out, all indications are that it was... uh, on the fire control line that comes across our property and comes in this back deal, in case there was a fire in there, there's a sprinkler system. And that's a four-inch line, is that right? Four-inch line, huh? Six, that's what I thought, it was a six-inch line coming in. <laughs> and we were getting six inches worth of high-pressure water coming out of there, like regularly there. Uh, so that's why when you came in today, you saw uh, cones out in the parking lot and... Uh, a, di- a big hole over there and caution tape. By the way, if you have children who would love to go look in there, please tell them don't, okay? Because if you don't tell them don't, we'll tell them don't. That's a major liability and that kind of thing. So please uh, just 
look from a distance. Don't admire from a distance. Just look from a distance. Now, I, br- I bring all that up, first of all, to let you know what happened. But secondly, I want to brag on our guys, all right? Because over the course of the morning, every one of our building and property committee members showed up at some point, uh, and most of them were here at one point dealing with it. Uh, you know, Kenny's working at a distance and taking care of things, and even several of our guys who not even on that committee came in in the course of the day, uh, and I was so proud of the way our church responded to that kind of a deal. And I want to say to you guys, thank you for doing that, okay? And I also want to use that as a good indicator for us of the stuff that we're talking about here as we talk about spiritual gifts, uh, which is what we did last week and we'll do tonight, uh, today and then next week we'll get back to our regular series but, uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. But what I saw happen on Friday uh, was a great living example of the church as people come bringing what God's gifted them to do and plugging in at that point and it happening then at a high level. Uh, you know, there are financial issues with that and so we pulled in our finance committee chairman in, into that the whole discussion and there were plumbing issues but there were even beyond plumbing issues you know, related to things that, you know, as I've had some exposure to those things but that's not my deal. And it's a great thing the way God put our church there because it doesn't have to be my deal. Matter of fact, it's better in those deals if I just step back and let those guys get after it. And they operate at a high level. That's a great picture of spiritual gifts coming to work in the life of a local church. The problem with it is that it's too rare for us in local church work. One of the things that occurred in our family... Uh, you know, I, I think I told you in the past, my dad was a pastor and I had a chance to serve with him for a long time. Uh, and whether you're aware of it or not, being a pastor's wife is harder than being a pastor. Um, and I grew up watching my mother fulfill that role in a really high level. And Teresa and I got married and, you know, she didn't know she was going to be a pastor's wife. I tricked her mom and we became pastor after we got married. But, um, I've watched Teresa do that through the years, but I, I went back in this whole discussion of spiritual gifts, went back to a conversation that Teresa and my mother had uh, when we knew that God was moving them away and God was moving me into the role of senior pastor in that church. Teresa and my mom started talking and Teresa was uptight about some things and the primary thing she was uptight about was her role as pastor's wife in the eyes of church people. This is the great unwritten job description of a church, is what exactly is expected of the preacher's wife. And usually that means, you know, she needs to play the piano. Teresa had that covered. Um, She needed to probably be able to sing well. She had that covered. Uh, She needed to be able to teach. Well, Teresa never fashioned herself as a teacher, even though she sells herself herself way short at that point. But she needed to be chairman of the, or, or chairperson of the WMU. Now, most of us don't even know what WMU is, okay? It's a old women's missionary, not old women. <laughs> oh, actually, that is true. Uh, in Baptist life, it is almost exclusively older women now because younger women said, I'll have none of that, thank you very much. And yet, there was this unwritten job description that a pastor's wife had to be in charge of all of those kinds of things, you know, uh, entertaining people and all those kind of deals. And... Um, And Teresa, you know, she knew that some of those things just weren't going to be who she was. 
And my mother gave her some incredible advice, and this is what it was. You don't have to do anything that God has not called you to do. Let me tell you something. There's great wisdom in that and incredible freedom in that. That's not just for pastors' wives. That's for you too. People in church go to people who are part of the church and say, hey, we need you too, and then we fill in the blank with whatever that happens to be. And we get this guilt complex about us and say, well, if, as a matter of fact, I've even heard it said this way in the recruitment phrase, if you don't do it, nobody will do it. We try to guilt people into doing church stuff. Let me tell you a great answer. If somebody comes to you and says, if you don't do it, nobody will do it. Here's a great answer. Then you need to have a funeral for it because it ain't happening. If God has not called you to do it, don't do it. Now, that grows out of an understanding of this whole discussion of spiritual gifts and what that looks like in the practical functioning of a local church. So I want to take another step with it today. So go with me in the book of Ephesians. Now, last week we looked in 1 Corinthians. I want us to be in Ephesians today. And especially, um, I want to give you a few verses here. Now, I don't think we're putting these on the screen, so I want you to kind of follow along in your own text there. It starts in verse 11. Ephesians 4.11 is Paul talking to the local church there at Ephesus Uh, And here's what he says in verse 11. And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And then he goes on to talk about what he's done for them. What I want you to hear first is that's a list. It's one of three lists. That's a list of spiritual gifts. Okay? Now, he gives more information afterwards. But what I want to do to make sure we get the context of this is I want us to go backwards and start in verse 1 so that we get Paul's full argument here. I'll tell you before we get into it, he's going to challenge those Christian people to live up to the calling that God has given them. In other words, you cannot just stay a baby in Christ. You need to grow up. Now, that's what he's saying. It takes him several verses to say it, and he gives these uh, gifts that I just read to you as people that are key people in helping people to grow up in their faith. So back to verse 1, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And here's the key verse for us. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of God's grace. And then in verse 11, I'm skipping some stuff there because it gets to be one of those things people jump to. Well, what does he mean in those few verses? But we miss the whole context. Paul's saying... Grow up. Function the way you're supposed to function. And then he says, God gives these people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by 
every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, do what you're gifted to do. And in the process of that, you grow and the body grows. That sounds simple, doesn't it? And some might even say it sounds too simplistic. Surely there's more required of us than that. Well, there's a couple of things I want you to get here, a few givens as we begin today. First of all, God's design for the church and the functioning of it is that each of us plug in with our own personal spiritual gift. Now, I said something last week I want to come back and reiterate very quickly. Spiritual giftedness, in other words, each one of us is given a gift when we make a profession of faith and accept Christ as our Savior. God, through the Holy Spirit, gives us something that the body needs. This body I'm talking. And the truth that goes with that is if I don't plug in with what he's gifted me to do, two things happen. First of all, I do not experience a fulfilled Christian life the way God designed it. It's a key part of how he builds this whole thing we call the Christian life. So I don't get the fulfillment I need if I don't plug in. But secondly, the church suffers if I don't plug in either because something that I'm supposed to do here is something only I can do. Now, God may raise somebody else up who could do something from their vantage point, but you hurt everybody if you're not plugging in where God wants you to be. Now, that fits with what I was talking about last week. Okay, That's almost like a review from last week. And so now I've spent a sermon and a little bit more trying to give us good argument for plugging in. Now, I hope by this time that if you haven't already, you're beginning to ask this question. Well, what are my spiritual gifts or what are these spiritual gifts for us to look at? Here's a couple of ideas for you to keep in mind. First of all, we can look to three different places to identify spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Paul is the author of each one of these, three different places, three different letters to churches, which means it's not just three different times does he mention it, but it's to three different churches, each with their own issues, each with their own problems. And Paul says to each of these three churches, you need to operate for the good of the body with your spiritual gift as the focal point of your service. What that tells me is it's universal in the church. Every church needs this teaching. If it was just one isolated incident that Paul says, well, you know, you got this problem, maybe you ought to try this, then we might take it as optional. But Paul says across the board, these are things that are basic to how we, quote, do church, end quote. Three different places. One of them is in Romans chapter 12. Another one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the third one is here in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm not going to take the time to go read those today because it just takes us too much time to do that. Now, what I do want to do is to let you in on kind of some of the work that I've done with this through the years. It's not just unique to me. This is a big part of church life. It's so basic it ought to be. 
Um, but some people have come together and said, all right, let's take these three lists and let's compare them and let's see how many duplicates we have in there, how many unique to each church. And what we find is that there's not a one set of gifts listed anywhere that is definitive. In other words, I believe that these are ones that we should look at, but we have the door open for some others. I'll come to that in just a second. So in this case, we might take these three lists, pull them together, see what kind of overlap we have, and in doing that, we find three main groupings uh, of spiritual gifts. I want to walk through those with you today. First of all, we have ministry gifts. Secondly, we have what I call motivational gifts. And thirdly, we have manifestation gifts. And we'll walk through those uh, and see what we get. Now, again... Some would say, well, are the only gifts available in a local church? And my, you know, when I'm looking at it and trying to find my own, uh, do I only get to choose from those that are in Scripture? Well, two things wrong with that. First of all, you don't get to choose. That is chosen for you. Holy Spirit, knowing you as you are, divinely empowers you. I really need to underscore that. Because that's a mouthful. Divinely empowers. We went to the rodeo yesterday in Houston. All of the population of Houston was there, I'm pretty sure. The ones who weren't actually in there were in the cars surrounding that, all right? Now, we got there early enough before the rodeo started to go over to the exhibit halls and stuff like that where they have all the animals, and then they have like some... Goats and stuff too. Most of the animals were the people walking around. Uh, But they had on one end of this thing the birthing center. Now I got to tell you, my first thought was to my wife, don't go over there. Okay, We got all the kids we need. If they're over there giving out children or something like that, let's don't do that. All right? Uh, Well, actually what it is, and some of you have been there more than I have, but what, what it was, was they teach children, or people, but I think children are probably the main focus there, about life and animals that are birthed on the farm and that kind of thing. And uh, allegedly, and I didn't see any of this because there were too many people between me and the actual show there, but uh, allegedly they had animals who were there in pens inside that building that were ready to deliver uh, babies like calves and pigs and lambs and stuff. And I was thinking to myself, I don't need to see this. I really don't need this. So they helped me because there were so many people there that I couldn't see. I was safe except for the big TV up top that they were showing these live births, right? Now, here's what it did for me. Because we, we watched a calf being born on the deal. Now, when I was a teenager, I had, we had a guy in our church who had a ranch, and I helped him birth a calf that was breached. So, you know, this is not new information for me, but it had been a while since I'd thought about all of that. And so I was glad I was a preacher and not a rancher. Um, But as I was watching that, I was struck with God's design of everything. The, The miracle of an animal being born. And the instincts that kick in for the mother and for the calf in this particular case and, uh, and, and the power that is involved in that. 
the ability for something to grow from just almost nothing to be in this intricate, complex, living organism. Now, if, if you can't see God in that, I, I don't know what it takes for you to see God. Imagine the wisdom required, the knowledge required to design all of that, much less to pull it off. Think about the power of God in evidence in our world. And then for me to stand up here and say, God has divinely empowered you to do something in his kingdom's work. All of the power and the wisdom and the knowledge, the insight required in creating that baby calf or goat or whatever, all of that at your disposal for the good of his body. One of the big problems in our time in churches is burnout by pastors. Not just pastors, but pastors seem to be you know, some, of the, some of the big guys who have to suffer with that. Well, but see, the problem with that is they don't have to suffer with that. See, there's a problem here in that pastors often have the mistake in thinking that the church they serve is their church. And there's nothing further from the truth than that. Okay? This is not my church. Now, I may be somewhere and say, yeah, well, you know, my church, etc. Uh, what I really mean by that is the church that I serve as pastor. Because it's a very small leap from my church to saying, okay, I'm responsible for that church. And there's nothing further than the truth, or from the truth than that either. This is not my church, not your church. This is God's church. Jesus Christ is the head of this body. It is his, not ours. And so what happens then is when a pastor begins to buy into, well, that's my church and I'm responsible for what happens there, the audience, the congregation is complicit in that stinking thinking because they begin to say, yeah, how come we're not, and then fill in the blank, as if it is the pastor's fault that we're not filling in the blank. Okay? Now, as far as I know, nobody's saying that about me right now, so this is not me defending myself or anything like that. This is just good doctrinal teaching. Okay? The complicity in that is if you start buying into a mentality that says, that's not my church, that's somebody, that's the pastor's deal up there or the music guy's deal up there, then you're wrong too because you have a role in this as well. But see, the the burnout part for pastors is to start thinking, it's my church and I'm responsible for this. People start saying, hey, that's your church and it's not going the way it needs to or maybe you're not working hard enough. So he just invests, invests, invests himself into it. And before you know it, he is spent Because he's working from a standpoint that says, I'm responsible, which means then it's all in his strength. Back off, divinely empowered. So what I do and what you do as a member of this church needs to be focused at the point that God said, this is your role. I have gifted you to do this. And then you do it in his strength. And all of a sudden, it becomes less like work and more fulfilling and more advantageous for the church. And it begins to bear fruit that only God could be responsible for. That's the beautiful design of what God has put together in what we call church. 
But we have to get off of this thinking that says it's up to us. Okay, so now we're back to these lists of gifts and and these categories that we have today. I will tell you, I don't believe there's a single place in Scripture you can go and get a whole list of all of them. Each of these three uh, lists that we have have some that are unique to them. There is some overlap to them. So we have these three broad categories. And so let's look at them very quickly together. All right? Here's the first one, the ministry gifts that we find. Here's my definition of what these are. These are applied directly in service to the body whether that's applied to an individual person or to the corporate body, the church itself. These are applied directly in the service to the body. Recipients of this service personally benefit from the ministry or service given. Let me give you an example of that out of Scripture. Remember over in Luke chapter 10, there's these two sisters, Martha and Mary. And Martha is working, doing stuff to entertain the guest of whom is Jesus. And she's working and she's working. And Mary, her sister is sitting over there at Jesus' feet listening to the teaching. What's Martha doing? Oh, she's stewing over this. You know why? Because Mary's not helping. My brother was Mary, just for the record. Okay, I did all the work at my house, and he never helped. See, this underscores something. Martha probably, I mean, there's some social stuff tied to, to that particular incident, But Martha probably is one who had that gift of service. You know, people are here and, hey, they need stuff when they're here. People need to eat. Hey, man, people need to eat. So Martha's working it. Mary, on the other hand, maybe that's not her gift because she's not all that worried about the service end of it. She's over there drinking in the teaching. And here's where we're a lot like Martha. We get upset because other people are not doing our gift. And if it's good enough for me, it's got to be good enough for you. So why aren't you helping And we get all whacked out because maybe somebody else doesn't have our gift that we're currently plugged in to do. Happens a lot in churches. Here's some of the gifts that we find in those three passages that fit under the ministry gift part of it. Giving, hospitality, mercy, encouragement, helps, and service. Let me give you an example of this in our church. We have a lady in one of our Sunday school classes who normally comes to the early service. And uh, when she comes, she just feels like it's a good thing for her Sunday school class to be able to eat. I love this lady. I love the way she thinks. And one of the reasons is because when she goes and takes whatever baked goods she has prepared for Sunday school, almost every Sunday morning, when she goes and takes it to there, she always has one wrapped in foil that she brings to me. I love this lady. Now, in that is just a point of service. She doesn't expect anything in return. She's not doing it for the kudos that she might get for that. She just loves to bake and she loves to see people who enjoy themselves eating. Service. Ministry. And by the way, as I work through some of these lists, I hope that you'll begin to ask yourself this question. Does that describe me a little bit? The ministry gifts. Here's the second one. The motivational gifts. Here's my definition of those. These are intended to motivate and to equip members of the body to develop and to grow spiritually. They provide direction and clarification for proper functioning of the organism. Ephesians 4, with all of the discussion that I went through this morning with that, fits this precisely. Paul preaching and teaching at various places in synagogues and 
uh, in the public marketplace, all of that. That's this ministry at point. It's the one that helps people on the teaching side of things typically. It's prophecy, it's teaching, it's, it's exhortation, it's leadership, it's administration, faith, and evangelism. Now, I've got to say something here. Some of these gifts are expected of all of us as basic Christian service. Giving from the last one is one of those, okay? Faith is one of those here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, I think it is, says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, everybody has to have faith. Everybody ought to be about the, the process of evangelism. By the way, how long has it been since you shared your faith with somebody? All of us are to be about these things, But because they're listed in spiritual gift things, apparently God sees and puts people in church who are specially gifted in those areas. Now, the problem that we tend to have is we say, well, you know, that's their deal. We find a guy who's like an evangelist and, you know, he's like flagrant about it. Get in your face kind of evangelist. That's not, I don't think, what he's talking about. That's just being rude. Okay. This is, this is the gift where you look at this person, you see behind them a long trail of people who have been won to Christ because of his life. All of us have to have some of it, but God uniquely and divinely empowers some of us with the rest of it. Here's the third one very quickly. Manifestation gifts. With just a couple of minutes left, this is the one that takes the longest to, to talk about because of the abuses that it brings. Manifestation gifts are those that reveal a clear supernatural power that is impossible from a strictly human point of reference. They include wisdom and discernment, knowledge, miracles, healings, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Here's why this is so dangerous for me to bring it up here. Baptists historically are knee-jerk reaction kind of people. Okay, we have a long history of fighting with each other. Usually our fights are over the way we look at passages of Scripture and then apply them or choose not to apply them. And in this case, one of the problems that we get is there have been so much abuse of some of these gifts that Baptists have shrunk back from them largely and said they cannot be from God. And I think there's, we open ourselves up to some problems, and most of them are theological and biblical in their base. I think we can fall off the horse on either side of this, and we need to be careful not to. On one side, we can be so concerned about abuse that we deny the biblical position on them. And the other side is that we can, because we're selfish, we can push beyond the logical conclusion of the biblical position. Let me say it particularly about the healing, the miracles, the tongues, the interpretation of tongues. You look in Scripture, and the vast majority, maybe all of them, when they're listed in Scripture, are tied to the move of the gospel into a pagan environment. And it becomes part of the gospel message as it invades a people group for the first time. And into that comes this awareness, this supernatural activity that God used somehow you see it with Paul. You see it with Simon Peter and the early church especially. Uh, so it's not that it doesn't happen. It just probably doesn't happen as much as your television would want you to believe that it does. I had a series of discussions with a guy one time. His name was Danny Corum. He was an investigative reporter. He was also an illusionist. 
And he went to great lengths to expose these alleged faith healers with genuine, responsible, investigative reporting. Because of his illusionist background, by the way, he was such a good illusionist that he wrote a book of of illusions and he sold his tricks to people like David Copperfield, specifically to David Copperfield. So this guy is top shelf at what he did. And he set about, because of abuses of this kind of stuff, he set about in his ministry in the public domain to expose these alleged faith healers that you see on TV and stuff. And he duplicated a lot of the stuff they saw there. He told us some of the background and how a lot of that kind of stuff was happening. And some of them went to jail because of his work in fraud. That's why they got sent to jail. Hear me again. The abuses of these things, and some of these things especially, have caused many Baptists to just step back and say, well, that can't be. I think we have to be biblical in what we do, and there's just enough for me today to kind of introduce the idea of that here, and we can have discussions as we go further. Have to be regulated by Scripture. I would really strongly encourage you not to feel the freedom to jump up and feel like you're talking in tongues here because biblically there's a very clear way to deal with that. And one of the ways you deal with that is, first of all, it's got to be for the good of the congregation and it's also got to have an interpreter. And so don't think that if you jump up like that, you're not going to get called down for that because... What God does, he does in order and for the good of the body. My dad was preaching one time and a guy came from the back. Nobody knew who he was. Came from the back, jumped up on stage. It was a tall stage like this. He stood on the floor and flat-footed, jumped up on stage and stood there. Now, he didn't know my dad very well. My dad never packed while he was preaching, but uh, he was mean. And uh, (laughs) when that guy jumped up there, my dad was taken back a little bit, but not too much. He looked at him. He said, what are you doing? And the guy said, the spirit has told me to make an announcement. And my dad looked at him. He said, the spirit never interrupts the spirit. You get out of here. It's a great piece of insight for us. When we come to this kind of stuff, people go crazy. And it violates the whole message of scripture in the first place. It is for the good of the body, or it's not from the Holy Spirit. So here's an overview, a final statement for you. In the end, attention to the involvement, that is a getting plugged in part of this, is based in spiritual giftedness, enables a church to handle people well, which brings glory to God. Here's what I mean by that. Let's take the average person who walks in off the street to come into a church service. And he walks in, and the first thing he needs, first thing he needs is for somebody to recognize that he's alive. Do you know how rare that is in a lot of churches? It's possible to go into a church and walk in the back door and walk past 100 members and nobody say a word to you. Listen, that should never happen in this church. It should never happen in any church because some people have the gift of encouragement, of hospitality. You know, people who have hospitality, they never meet a stranger. Hey, we've been waiting for you. Well, I didn't know you knew I was coming. No, I don't even know who you are. We're just so glad you're here. Welcome to the family. You go to their house and they say, come on in. We were waiting for you. Now, some people go to the house and they meet you at the door with a gun. 
Okay, might be the preacher's house. You just never know, do you? People walk on this campus, they need somebody to recognize that they're alive. If you have the gift of of hospitality, of ministry in any way, you see that. You ought to be looking for people. Use your gift. So they come in and they find somebody, pull them in. And as they pull them in, these people now have new needs. All right? Now all of a sudden they begin to say, well, you know what? It feels okay, but this is foreign to me. I'm not sure what to do. So those other Ministry gifts begin to kind of kick in and people pull them in and introduce them to other people and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But you know, those people have other needs. They need to know who Jesus Christ is. Maybe they don't know that. And so now we're into another one of those categories of the gifts and that evangelist person steps in and begins to develop a relationship with them, tells them about Jesus Christ. People plugging in with their gifts, just doing who they are because of Jesus Christ person makes a profession of faith for Jesus Christ, they need to be discipled. They need to be taught. So now we're into some more of those gifts coming to work. They need to know what their gifts are. So we need to teach them into that and help them see that. And we need to help people know, where do I plug in at church? That's the whole reason we've done two weeks of sermons with this. And starting next Sunday, in Sunday school, and if you don't go to Sunday school, I'd highly encourage you to do it. But if you don't go, we'll have some of those gift surveys available here. We're going to give you the opportunity to begin the process of saying, okay, what's my gift? I know we've done that in this church in the past, somewhere in the past, and not much came from it. That's not going to be the case here. We want to take this. We want to use it. We want to help you find a place that fits your gift. That's the deal. And I'm done. Let's pray. So as we come to this, let me just encourage you again. Where might you fit in all of this? Do you hear something in there that maybe fits kind of how you think or how you feel and that opens a door for you? We have to make a commitment that says we go forward with this model. So wherever you are, first question is, do you know Christ at all? If you don't, i tell you, today's a great day for me to introduce you to Jesus Christ who loved you enough that he died for you to have a relationship with a holy God. It gives you life. It's today. It's through eternity. There's no other life like that. So I encourage you to make that decision. Many of us have made that decision, but we've not really worried too much about where we take it from there. That's what this is all about. So let me just encourage you to be part of a decision today that says, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to move forward with this church to do what we need to do to fulfill our calling here. It's decision time.